Amen. Well, as you know, I always like to encourage you to read the Word of God. So I encourage you, in light of today's message, please read 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. And as you know, I'm encouraging you to pray. Continue to find someone to pray with every day, whoever that may be. Continue to pray with that person. So, and if you're wondering, well, what should I pray about, you know? Well, you have this bulletin, and on the back, it's prayer newsletter. Lots of things to pray for here. Just pick a name and pray for them. I don't know. Well, pray for them. Jesus does, so pray for them. So let me give you that encouragement. All right, let's go to the Lord. Speaking of prayer, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Amen? Amen. Father, we come before you today uh, asking that you just convict us of our sins, Lord. If there's anything inside us that we're holding on to or we don't even realize that we're doing, Lord, because sin just comes naturally, reveal it to us so we can flee from it and run to the cross. Run to, run to Jesus with empty hands of faith, clinging to him, knowing that we have been forgiven by his grace. God, we, we ask right now that you be with all the churches that are meeting across the world or or that will be meeting, or in and, and whatever capacity, whether that's out in the middle of a field, in a building, or in a small, small room. God, we just pray that you bless them and encourage them and remind them that we are in this together. We are the body of Christ. And though we gather locally, it's all part of a greater mission of having your name proclaimed. There is much distraughtness in this world. There is much... Anger, there is a lot of strangeness going on. But we know it always has been that way because this world is a broken place. But your grace shines forth and we pray right now for all those who are suffering and looking for hope that you bring Christians to them, you bring your message to them so they can know the grace that you provide through faith in your Son. So, Lord, as we come before you, we pray that you fill us with love, hope, and peace so we can live consistently before you. Live the faith consistently in which we believe so your name will be magnified in all that we do. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. You know, um, if there's one thing that we can not say enough to the world uh, or enough to ourselves is that the gospel of God's grace is true freedom from this world, from the devil, and from ourselves. You know, realize that every day that you live in this world, every moment you go about your normal day-to-day business, you will be faced with the lie that you are not free by faith in Jesus Christ alone. The gospel message, the world will tell you that the gospel message doesn't produce freedom, that it doesn't give real hope, that it doesn't produce true peace in you. Every moment of our life, we are constantly challenged with the falsities that even though you have faith in Christ, you still need to live in shame and if you have mistakes, you still need to live in guilt of your sins and you still need to carry the burden of your own worries and fears. Life itself is always on a mission to say faith in Christ means nothing for you. That what was accomplished upon the cross for you is not enough to remove 
from you becoming just a product of this world that we live in. And Christ's gospel message of grace cannot change anything or anyone or anything going on in this world, and it most definitely can't change you. That it makes no difference if you place your faith in Christ. You're still doomed to the world's power over you, so give up and give in, because if you don't, you're just wasting your time trusting in this gospel message, for it has no power in this world and no power over you. But here's the thing. That is so far from the truth. For when we place our faith in the gospel message, as stated in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. If you have faith in that message, the power of sin and death has been completely broken over you. You have been freed from this world's powerful hold upon you, freed from Satan's tyrannical, powerful grip upon your life, and you are free from the horrific power of your own sinful nature. For by faith alone in Christ, we have overcome these domineering things over us. For today, then, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 through 3a, the first part. We're not going to complete it. And see Paul's full frontal assault with the gospel message saying, if we are in Christ by faith in him, then as our title says, we are truly a free people. So we live in bondage to nothing, no matter what our life may look like. For Christ has said in John 8, 36, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now remember, Paul's writing to people who are believers. So when we read this passage, Paul is trying to bring, bring to light just how deep and vastly wide this freedom that we have now in Christ goes, how far it goes. So when we read this passage as, as heavy and as sobering as it may be, his goal is to help us Christians see how powerful the gospel message is and how we are the freest people on this earth by faith alone in Christ. And also, though, he does want us to see how devastatingly deep we are into sin's power over us if we don't have faith in Christ. Now, for our context, Paul has just stated in verse 1 that prior to knowing Christ by faith, we are a spiritually dead people before God. We are dead in our sins. So he continues then in verse 2. And says, in which you once walked. So in speaking of walking or once walk, Paul is making sure we understand that our whole life was characterized by sin as we lived on this earth. That sin was the only course we could take part in or the only way that we could go. You only walked in sin and lived in sin before the Lord. So even as we went about our daily life, going to our jobs, loving our families, hanging out with friends, watching movies, it was all as spiritually dead people in sin. There was no hope in ourselves to save ourselves. There was no redeeming factor within us that we could cling to or in of ourselves that could justify us before God and bring us to salvation. We were just trotting along as spiritually dead people and all that we did without the grace of God entering our life by faith in Christ. 
we would just succumb to nothing because we had nothing but sin to show for ourselves. Now, he could have left it there. I mean, that's pretty devastating. (laughs) But he didn't. He continued to proceed to show just how far down God's hand had to reach to grab us by faith and pull us out of sin's disastrous hold over us. Paul wants us to realize the severity and menacing power of sin's bondage over us that was broken by the cross of Jesus Christ so we can truly rest in the grace and freedom of our Lord. He continues in verse 2 and says, following the course of this world. And this brings us to our first point. You are free from the world's powerful, sinful system. And what you have here then is Paul saying that not only were we spiritually dead people, dead in sin, but you were under the power of the sinful world system. That the word following here is this idea of the world conforming you, that it was ruling over you. You were in bondage to the world, to think like the world, to act like the world, to speak like the world. That is all we could do because of the world's rule over us. Prior to knowing Christ, all we did is promote its values, its ethics, its its godlessness. For this world only promotes godlessness, and that's it. There is nothing good in this world to redeem you before the Lord. It will only make you more enslaved to sin because that's its job. Enslaving mankind to continue in sin. Now, on the outset, I think most of us would agree with that. But if you think about it and keep thinking about it, if you think about it long enough, chew on it, and you go home, you're like, hey, wait a minute. You might say, wait a minute, that can't be true in an absolute sense, can it? I mean, surely there must be something good that this world produces. I mean, for the world seeks justice, right? Right, so that's a good thing. You see organizations, you see governmental laws, you see people wanting and seeking justice, and justice happens, right? That's a good thing, surely. So that must be something right that the world does. And that's exactly what the world wants you to think. That's exactly how deep the grasp of the world is upon mankind. For it wants all men to live in the lie that man's justice will change mankind for the better. That man's justice will make this world a better place to live in. But here's the thing. Man's justice will not produce true forgiveness in our hearts or in this world. Man's justice will not produce true peace in our hearts or in this world. It will not produce salvation for you or for all mankind. Man's justice does not change the heart. Only the gospel has the power to do that. Only what Christ has accomplished upon the cross by his blood can do such a thing. But the world will never tell you that. And it will never champion that. It will always make you think that man's justice alone is the answer to our problems and not the gospel of the grace of God. No matter how much justice we achieve, hate in people's hearts still lives 
even after the justice has been done. The anger is still there. And sadly, mankind still stays in their sins and is on a course for hell. Now, am I saying we should not pursue justice? No, of course not. But what I'm saying is we should not find our hope in justice as much as the world wants us to. Because though justice may be served, it serves people straight to hell without Christ. See, the world system is bent in such a way to create in us in a sense of self-righteousness or I'm better than you mindset. This world is, is only about division. It's not about unity in the name of Christ. The world doesn't want to offer, nor does it want you to offer, the gracious hand of the gospel of grace. It rather wants to offer and have you offer us this tight, clenching hand of fist of hate and fear and anger. See, all the world's values are, are temporary. It's not eternal. So no matter what the world produces, no matter how good it may be or how bad it may be, it will produce nothing. The world always brings us to have this attitude of no concern with the eternal things of God. If you do not have Christ by faith, that mindset will dominate your heart, will dominate your mind and dominate your soul. To always focus on the here and now and live in the moment and have nothing to do with God and his ways. And grossly, this world's sinful, domineering system that is upon mankind right now is involved with everything we're a part in. From our political systems to our views of marriage to our views of family and to the views of ourselves, This world is doing everything it can to keep man away from seeing it all from a gospel perspective, from seeing everything from God's ways and how he views it. It's all about you, what you view, not him. This world does its best to keep people away from the word of God, from the scripture, and letting God's word define what is right from wrong and what should and should not be. The world wants you to see yourself as independent from God in everything and for you to find your everything in the world rather than your everything in Christ. But here's the thing. That is not true of us anymore. Christ, by faith in us, has freed us from the world's ruling power over us. So as Christians, we are free from the world's expectations, free from pursuing its standards and values. Its purposes and goals are no longer our concern. Our concern is now being a disciple of Christ and knowing all expectations and standards and goals that God requires of us has been met in Christ's finished work before us through faith in him alone so we can live freely in his grace. Our alliance then is to King Jesus by faith in him in all things. And we hear our king speak to us through his written word, the Bible. And it is there we look to see how we should live in this dark and sinful world. 
Praise be to God that we have been freed from this enslaved world of death. Praise God in his graciousness over us that we have been freed by faith in Christ from living in a wretched system of lies that deceitfully promise freedom, but only bring enslavement to fear, to hate, to shame, to worry, and to guilt. Praise God for the freedom of his grace through faith alone in Jesus. Paul then continues to layer upon us just how much sin had a hold of us by saying then in verse 2, following the prince of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And this brings us to our second point. We are free from the devil's power. Now remember, the word following means to be ruled over or molded by. So therefore, knowing Jesus by faith in him, or I'm sorry, before knowing him by faith. Not only did we have the world ruling over us, but we also had Satan, the prince of power, ruling over us through this world. He is the one that's pulling the strings behind this sinful world to have it it do its bidding and keep mankind enslaved to pursuing sin, as it says in Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. In their case, the God which is Satan, by the way, notice lowercase g, he's not a real God. It says, the God of this world has blinded their minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. Now, when you read, you know, Prince of the Power of the Air, you're probably wondering, like, what in the world does that mean? Like, should I stop breathing because I'm going to breathe in Satan? No, keep breathing, please. But, what it, but basically what, he, what he's skidding at here is kind of what I already stated, is that Satan is ruling the unseen part of life, the spiritual realm. The place where it's not really perceivable with the human eye or the human touch, but yet can somehow influence and interact with the earthly realm. It's very interesting to think about it. You know, that there's more to creation than just what meets the five senses. I mean, we ourselves have an immaterial soul that lives on once we physically die. You know, there, there are spiritual angels amongst us there, and there are also fallen angels, which are now called demons, roaming about. And this text, Paul is focusing on the head fallen angel, the prince of demons, the prince of the power of the air, Satan and his influence upon this world. As it says in 1 John 5.19, it says, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So when we look at this text of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, where he says, The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, Paul is wanting us to see just how much of an influence he has upon people who don't know Christ. Satan's demonic influence is very active in this world. So much that all mankind, all people are considered and called the sons of disobedience. Mankind without Christ is characterized sons of disobedience. That is what they are before God. They are Satan's disobedient sons. Jesus speaks of this idea as non-believers, as being sons, disobedient sons of Satan in John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, 
And you will do, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. All people live in this disobedient attitude towards God that is edged on and promoted by Satan and his kingdom of darkness. And the best way to understand this, what this disobedience is, is basically not trusting in the God of the Bible and trusting in everything else. The God of the Bible is the one being that Satan does not want mankind to trust in alone. And by not trusting in the Lord at all, people are living in open rebellion to him. That's what rebellion is. It's against God personally to not trust in him alone because he deserves all the glory alone, all the honor alone, and all the trust alone. God says himself in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. In Isaiah 43, 11, he says, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no other Savior. See, people are doing the bidding of Satan himself by simply living a comfortable life that rejects God. Saying, I don't need him in my life. I'm sufficient on my own. Now, real quick. This passage is not saying that people who don't have Christ are possessed by Satan and his demons. So don't go thinking that. Be like, oh, that's why he acts so weird. I told you. Don't go that route. That's not what he's getting at. Although certainly sometimes you may think that way. But anyways, this passage is not saying that. But the phrase, at work in, just means that whether people realize it or not, they are being heavily influenced in some fashion by Satan as he is ruling over this world. They are doing his bidding in not trusting the Lord and rejecting him from their life. Because that's exactly what Satan wants and what he's been doing to mankind since the fall of mankind in Genesis chapter 3. I recommend read it. So because Satan himself has said in Job chapter 1 verse 7 that he's going to and fro on the earth, walking up and down it. This is why we see so much evil in this world taking hold. For Satan is using the sin of men and building upon it, taking bad to worse consistently. Satan and his demonic kingdom is always looking to create more sin in this world by keeping man in constant, full-blown rebellion against God, simply saying, don't trust him. Trust yourself. Trust someone else. And here's the thing. Sin does not just come in ugliness. Satan's influence is not just ugly things, but his influence of sin and control can come in deceptively beautiful things that are enticing to keep mankind under the power of sin. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, for even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. Sin does not have to be bloodshed and pain and the scary stuff. Sin can also be found in pleasure and comfort. 
Sin has no boundaries. Sin is no respecter of things. So you know what that means? Just because it makes you feel good doesn't mean it's not sinful. Just because it's not mean or cruel doesn't mean it's not sinful. Just because it was done in love or in the name of love doesn't mean it's not sinful. See, the evil one, Satan, is always at work in the world to make sure people think that faith in Christ is not enough and to make sure people think that God's word is irrelevant and does not set the standards. Satan's always at work to keep people away from trusting in the God of the Bible and keep them away from knowing that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. But praise be to God that now by faith in Christ, we can see through the tricks of the devil. For his grasp has been broken over us. For we have the Holy Spirit now to convict us of our sin and guide us as we traverse this world to remind us as we stumble and fumble about that we have been completely forgiven by Christ, by faith alone in him. And he will not let us go even when we fail him. He will not let Satan's power's grasp take hold of us again. For it says, Jesus said this specifically in John chapter 10, verse 28 through 29. I give them eternal life that they will never perish and that no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Then Paul says there's one more thing that holds mankind in the bondage of sin or for our context something else that Christ has broken over us he says in verse 3 among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh and this brings us to our last point you are free from the power of our flesh Paul says we had our own sinful nature against us. See, we had the world and the devil and our own flesh keeping us under sin's power. Now notice, Paul says, among whom we all once lived. He's including himself in here. He's including the Jewish people too. So he's saying both Jewish believers and Gentile believers, before they came to faith in Christ, were in bondage to also living in the passions of the flesh. So when he says, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, Paul's also revealing the nature of all mankind as sinful. So the moment we are conceived, man's nature now is sinful. God even says this in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, that every intention of his thoughts of his heart were only continually evil. Again, in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither again will I strike down every living, living creature as I have done. So Paul is revealing that prior to knowing Christ, we were just in over our heads in being in bondage to sin. 
Because on top of everything else that's going on around us, our own nature is sinful. In fact, so sinful that he continued in verse 3, which is we'll come to the, where we're coming to the end. We won't complete verse 3 today. So sinful that mankind is carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. He is saying that we just willfully, all the time, prior to knowing Jesus, gave in to our sin in all of our life. No fighting. That even though we were being ruled by these things out there, we enjoyed our sin because that was our nature. We enjoyed the sin. So we enjoyed being slaves to sin and looked for ways to do it more. Hence, Paul says, we carried out the desires of the body and mind. We were wretches before the Lord because we wanted to sin. Or put bluntly, Paul is saying we lived in such a way that we, that we loved to justify our sinful inclinations, our sinful deeds, our sinful thoughts, and our sinful emotions. So we lived to justify the long list of sins in our life as listed in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, enviness, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. But remember, Paul also included himself in Ephesians of this verse. Uh, verse 3, by saying we all. So he also includes the Jews in this list. So the word passions here then is expanded to include justifying ourselves by trusting in our own self-righteousness or trusting in our moral lifestyle, which is also sinful without Christ. To live without faith in Christ and to live by this law or our own law or any law is also a sinful desire of the flesh. Being moralistic or self-righteous does not stop our sinful nature, but only becomes another way in giving into our sinful nature and enhancing our sinful nature. Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 23 says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So the passions of the flesh are not just sexual things or anger or worry or fear or hate, but also self-righteousness. So Paul is saying we are fully dominated by our sinful nature in all that we do. Truly, we are doomed and lost without hope and without Christ. But here's the thing. All of this, Paul says, was in the past. No longer, if you have faith in Christ, no longer are we called the sons of disobedience, even when we fall into sin right now. You are not labeled as a disobedient son. You're not labeled as a disobedient child, but a faithful child of God by faith alone in Christ. No longer are we being ruled by the ways of the world, 
For Christ alone is the one who is ruling us. No longer are we following the prince of the air, for the Holy Spirit is ruling our hearts. No longer are we under the power of our sinful nature, for we have been born again. But you probably will say, well, John, uh, I still find sin in my life. Come hang out with me. Actually, don't, because you'll find the sin. Its presence is still there. I still fall into sin. Yes, my friend, yes, you do, and so do I. But the power of that sin has been broken. It has been completely forgiven in Christ through faith in Him. See, you are a free person now in this world. For true freedom is found in having faith in Christ alone. You might ask, well, wait a minute, what does that look like? Because I still struggle with lying. I still struggle with judging people. I still struggle thinking I'm better than people. I still struggle with lust. I still struggle with anger. I still struggle with worry and fear. I still struggle with forgiving some people. Have you seen my neighbor? What he's doing to my lawn? And so on and so on and so on and so on. The list can go on. How have I been freed from sin's power over me? Well, it's the fact that you struggle with sin at all. See, your eyes have been opened to sin. You are able to see it for what it is through having faith in Christ. So it has no power over you. Christ exposes it to you. See, when you are confronted with these sins and they are heavy upon your heart, and you know you cannot fix it, that's the whole point. Like, John, there's still sin. What do I do? Guess what? You go to Jesus to change your heart. And that's the freedom. Non-believers, they don't do that. You go to Jesus to have Him remove the desire of sin. People who don't have faith, they don't do that. See, only believers go to Jesus crying out to the Lord, Forgive me, I'm a wretched sinner. Help me, Abba, Father. And guess what? He reminds you that through His Word and through the power of the Holy Spirit that you have been completely forgiven. You are completely free from this world, completely free from the flesh, completely free from the devil. See, as long as we are alive in this world and have faith in Christ, sin's power has been removed from us, which is why we constantly go to Christ by faith in the first place. That's why you live by His works, not your own. So by faith, the more we focus on Him, the more we overcome the power of sin in our life, even though its presence will still linger. But its power does not. How do I know that? Because simply the fact that you end up trusting in Christ's finished works rather than your own, and trust that He is completely forgiven you, and he will make sure you get, get into heaven by simply trusting in him. That's it. Trust. That's it. Not works. Not what you do. Not what you say. Not what you did last week. Not what you're going to do. It's do you trust. That's it. That's how you know the world's power has been broken over you. That's how you know 
Satan's grass has been broken over you, and that's how you know your own sinful, sinful, sinful nature has been broken over you. You are now completely free. So I'm going to leave you with a quote, which I read the other day, and I think it sums up this whole thing that we went over today quite well. The person said this, This morning, you woke up to something infinitely better than an opportunity to get it right. You woke up perfectly loved despite all of your blown opportunities to get it right. Church, that's why we're free. That's why the gospel of grace is such great news. For Christ has done it all by faith in him. I pray that that message brings comfort to your heart. And I pray that it's that message that will sprout from your mouth when you meet all the people in the world who you know who don't know Jesus. He's the answer. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the hope of the gospel. Truly, Lord, we need you. We find hope in so many other things that are useless. Man has been in sin since Genesis 3 and will stay in sin until the end of time. But God, you have been freeing people since that time too. To say, look, look to you. Right now, Lord, if there's someone that's struggling with their marriage, struggling with sins in their life, struggling with some relationship, struggling with a job, struggling with worry about their financial situation or struggling with worry about their home life or their future or maybe some physicality, Lord, remind them, if they have you, you are enough. And if they keep trusting in you, it's going to work out, even though it may feel like it's not, it is going to work out for their good. That's the promise we have. And Lord, if someone doesn't know you right now, I pray that they come to know you by simply crying out to you, saying, I'm a sinner in need of grace. Then, God, you will save them because that's your promise. That's why you gave your son. You love the world that you gave your son, that anyone who believes upon him will have everlasting life. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your grace. Amen. Stand as we